good morning, church. What a powerful story as we continue in our series called When Life Gets Hard, a story where God is still getting the glory, even in the midst of hardship. One of the things that we're going to do a little bit different today is we're going to have a little more time of worship through song at the end of our service. But what I do want to ask you to do right now is something that we've done every week in our series where we have said our memory verse that's been the anchor of this whole series in John 16, 33. We've said it out loud together, and as we've done it, we've stood together. So I want to ask you to stand up with me, and we're going to say our memory verse. If it's your first time with us this morning, or maybe you don't quite know it, it will be up on the screen, so you'll have it with you. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling them certain things that are going to be happening and the hardships that they are going to be facing But as we say this today, I really want you to focus in on something that we're going to be talking about today. I want you to focus in on the peace, the peace that God offers us as believers as we go through whatever it is that you may find yourself dealing with. Because God is going to offer you a peace that's often unexplainable. We can't make sense of it. It doesn't make sense when people look and they see what's going on in your life, but yet you are still at peace, although there's a storm raging all around you. Jesus is going to say these words in John 16, 33, and the way that we do it around here when we say our verse is we say the address of the verse first, we say the verse together, and we say the address at the end. And, and as I always do, I sometimes forget to say the address at the end, but I trust you'll hold me accountable, okay? And as I mess that up nearly in every service, but hopefully not this one, okay? So let's say it out loud together, and you focus in on this word peace today. John 16, 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. Now let's pray together. God, as we open your word and as we ask your spirit to be our teacher today, Lord, I know that there are people that are here in this room that are going through some incredibly difficult experiences in their life. And Lord, they're going through hardships, and it's not a matter of when life is going to get hard. Lord, it is hard for them right now. So Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today, that you would teach us from your word, that we would open our minds and our souls to you to come in and, and Lord, just begin to minister to our hearts and to give us the instruction that we need and to give us the hope that we need. And Lord, I want to pray that those who are here that are struggling would begin, Lord, on a journey of a pathway towards the peace that you offer us. I thank you, Lord, that you didn't water down the truth, that you told us like it was that life is hard. You said that we would have difficulties. You said in this world, because of the sin that's in this world and the broken nature of mankind and the brokenness of this world, you said that we would have many sorrows. But, Lord, you didn't leave it there. You said that there is hope. And there is peace that's found in you. And so, Lord, may we begin to experience that and find that as you have desired for us to. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, will you go ahead and have a seat this morning? You can grab your Bibles. And I want you to start turning with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. That's where we're going to be in the Scriptures today. And as we've been in this series called When Life Gets Hard... I know the question has come up, and you may even be thinking, man, why are you guys doing this series? I mean, it's really sensitive for a lot of folks that are here to to talk about the hardships of life. and, And maybe they even come to church at certain times to maybe have an escape from that in dealing with some of the realities. And here's what I want to say. I mean, I could just get up here and give you kind of a fluff message, and we could just kind of just make you feel good for just a little while. But here's what I know is that you're going to go back out here into the world that Jesus said that you're living in, and it is going to be hard. And so therefore, I feel like it's my responsibility and the responsibility of your leadership here that we adequately prepare you and make certain that you as a believer are grounded in your faith as you encounter the hardships in life. So I don't want to just give you a fluff message. I want to give you something you're going to use in your life. I want to give you something that's going to uphold you and give you some hope. And this isn't a a kind of a downcast series, but really, as you'll see as we take the turn today, this is really more a series about, about hope, about finding peace, because you are going to experience the hardships in your life. And And so as a believer, you are going to get sucker punched by life at certain times. You heard the story of Pastor Matt, 
who pastors a great church called the Village Church up in the Flower Mound area, a wonderful church. And you see that, 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 it's, that there was something like that that happened in his life. And it's not a matter of whether or not you love God that you're going to experience difficulties in your life. We know this, that Job loved God. As we've discovered this, as we've looked in this series, we know that David loved God and we'll look more at some of his story today. And yet he experienced hardship. There's not a question of whether or not Moses ever loved God, right? We know that Moses loved God, but yet he still went through hardship. The Apostle Paul went through hardship. Jesus himself suffered greatly and went through hardship. It's not a matter of whether or not you love God. That's not going to dictate whether or not you're going to experience hard times in your life. We know that Pastor Matt still loves God as he's going through this difficulty and challenge in their family and in their life. I know that my brother-in-law, Dan, passionately loved Jesus Christ and was about making his name famous in the job in which he served. And yet there's still hardship. So it's not a matter of whether or not you love God. That's not the point. The Bible has been given to us in complete transparency and in authenticity to prepare us for the fact of the matter that we will all face difficulties at one time or another. And it's our responsibility as your leaders to prepare you and equip you for that. To give you something that you will use in your life. You know, we don't just want to fluff it, fluff it up for you because that's not going to last in your life. And so what we've been discussing is how our lives are made up. And because we're human beings, our lives are made up of a lot of change. Things are always changing in our life. And because things are always changing, when things change, that means there's loss that comes with the change. And whenever there's loss, that means that there's pain that comes with that loss. For some of you, the loss, it's all kinds of things that we experience where there's change and loss. For some of you, the loss is, is a loss of a job situation. And you're trying to figure out what's next. And you're still maybe in shock. And you're still reeling from that and trying to figure that out. And there's been a change there. And you're dealing with pain in that. We want to begin to equip you to find peace. We're not saying we're going to fix the situation for you. But we want to begin to equip you to find peace in the midst of that loss. It may be the loss of a relationship. It may be the loss of, of maybe your finances at this point are a wreck. It could be the loss of security that maybe you've been used to in some kind of way and now everything's been turned upside down and you're dealing with that. And it certainly could be the loss of a loved one that many of you in our congregation have experienced and will experience. We all go through different losses in our life. So what we've been trying to equip you with is to help you understand that as you go through loss, there are phases of grief that you will experience in your life. And we want to familiarize you with that. What you will experience whenever you get the sucker punch of life is you will experience what is first called shock. We talked about that in week one. And this is whenever this happens, this kind of leaves you in this place of, of just, you don't, you're so numb, you don't even really understand and know what's happened. You're still just trying to figure things out and, 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 and really in a lot of ways even still in some denial and you're so caught off guard by that sucker punch of life that, that you're just really in what we call this state of shock. Next, we talked about moving to this place of sorrow where we begin to accept reality for what it is and we begin to, instead of feel numb, we begin to actually feel grief and we feel sad. And grief, what we learned, is not a bad thing. Grief is actually the natural process that God has gifted us with to take us through the transitions of life. And you can either choose to grieve things in a healthy way, which is what we are promoting here at our church, is that you actually grieve loss. You actually in, engage in that and you lament that before God. But what most of us will do is we will stuff down our feelings because we think that if we grieve, then that means we are weak or that we don't have faith. Well, we're trying to show you that that's not biblical, that you were given emotions by God. You're created in the image of God. We discovered that weakness is not, or grieving is not weakness. We discovered that God himself grieves. We see that Jesus himself, whenever his friend Lazarus had died, and he saw all the hurt around him because of, of the brokenness of the world, Jesus did what in John 6.35? Jesus did what, church? He wept. And so grief is a natural part of that sorrow. And if you don't learn to grieve in a healthy kind of way, 
it's going to come out in other ways in your life. And a lot of times you get stuck emotionally, you get stuck spiritually, you don't know how to grieve properly, and so it begins to come out on, in other ways. And so maybe because you don't want to deal with it, you might find yourself battling with some addictions and ways that you try to numb that grief out. It could come through food addictions or alcoholism, workaholism. You just don't want to deal with it, and so you have those things that begin, begin to become a part of your life in an unhealthy kind of way. We want to teach you that it's okay to grieve. Last week, Pastor Randy began to talk to us about struggle. That we move from shock to sorrow to struggle. And when struggle happens, what, what's there with struggle is that's the place where I begin to maybe even get a little bit angry. And I start asking why. And I want to know what's next and what's God doing in the middle of this. And why am I dealing with this? And, and we discovered in the Word that every great man and woman of God struggled with God in some kind of way, right? Abraham struggled with God. Moses struggled with God. Jesus, while he was on the cross, he said, My God, my God, what? Why? Why have you forsaken me? What is that? That's struggle. And what we've been trying to teach you is that it's okay to be honest in your struggle. It's okay to, to, to actually acknowledge that you're struggling and that you don't have to come in and have a big fake pretend plastic smile to be a part of this church. That you can actually struggle and wrestle with some of your questions with God. In fact, what we've been trying to teach you is that God really wants you to be at that place of being honest in the way that you're feeling. God wants you to really begin to worship Him in spirit and in truth and what we want to take you to today is as we begin to take a turn in this series, because that first three, those were tough, guys. Those were tough to preach. I know they were tough for many of you to hear. And this one is going to be tough as well, but it's going to begin to turn towards the hope that we find. And this is what we're going to talk about today is called surrender. We don't like this word surrender because it. It, 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 surrender in our culture means that I'm given up, right? That I give up and that I've lost. And so I surrender, especially if you're competitive. We don't like the idea of surrender. But, but what we're in essence going to be teaching today through this, and then we'll worship and surrender here in a few moments, is this, is that surrender can best be described with this emotion that is called surrender. The best emotion described with this is, is called peace. It's this place of, of peace in our life. It's an unpopular word because we, don't, we think that we're giving up. But really in the relationship with God, surrender is at the complete, authentic heart of worship. It's a place where we come to God and we say, I don't understand this. I don't like this. And God, I'm complaining to you. I'm not complaining about you because remember, complaining to is what God wants. Complaining about, that is rebellion. But at this point, we complain in our honesty and we say, I don't like this. I don't get this, but I'm coming to you and I'm trusting you. That is the pathway to peace. In fact, you can write this down. Your key thought for today is this, is that surrender is the pathway to peace in your life. If you're going to begin to experience this peace that Jesus talked about, that he, is, that he has offered to us in, our, in the midst of our hardship, not just making our hardships go away, but actually experiencing peace in the midst of this, then it's going to come, begin to come through the step of surrender. The step of surrender and acknowledging that God and trusting God in His sovereignty and that God is faithful, even though I can't see it. Even though I can't explain it. Even though it doesn't make any sense in this world, I still trust in the sovereignty of God. That is becoming, that is coming to a place of surrender. This is a pathway to peace. So how do you begin to get there? How do you begin to let go and start moving through the pain that you may be experiencing in your life so that you don't get stuck? That's what we see happen with people is they get stuck in their grief. They never grieve properly. They get stuck spiritually. They get stuck emotionally. We saw this happen in the lives of one of our dear family members who's not with us anymore. But as I've looked back on this person's life and I've looked at the loss that they experienced, which was in the loss of a marriage. And it was, it was a devastating loss in that individual's life and in, in, in our family's life. Whenever that happened, I've looked at this individual and I've, I've tried to learn from that experience. And what I saw was that 
it seemed like there was a place where that individual was stuck. And, and, and when you get stuck, what begins to happen is you begin to get bitter. And I'm not saying that, that he ever should have gotten over it because you never get over it. And we're never telling you to get over it. But you do have to begin to get through it, right? You have to begin to take steps through it. You don't get over it, but you begin to get through it. But this individual, the bitterness really oftentimes, because they never could take steps forward, began to come out kind of sideways. And it came out sideways in his life. And it oftentimes impacted those that loved him the most. And the last thing we ever want to see happen in your life is that you get stuck because you could end up dying a bitter person. And God has so much more for you than that. Everyone is going to have bad things that go that happen to them that go on in their life. Everybody does, whether you love God or not, as we established. And you have choices in the way that you are going to respond to the bad things that happen in your life. Here are your choices. You can either choose to let it destroy you. And it wrecks you and you stay stuck there and you are destroyed and and you never move through it. And you can then begin to let it define you. Which is this, and there are legitimate victims in our society, but we do live in a victim society that wants to be defined purely as being a victim their entire life. And you, yes, can be a victim, there's no doubt, but at some point you don't want to be stuck as a victim. You begin to move forward through this, okay? And so you can let it destroy you, you can let it define you, or your choice is this, you can, with God's help, begin to let it develop you. And it begins to work in your life. And it's hard, and it's not fun, and it's not easy, but God in His power can begin to do this through you because God loves those that love God. He begins to work for the good of those who love Him. It's not saying that everything is good, but He works in the midst of the hardship. So you can let it destroy you, define you, or begin to develop you with God's help and to shape your character into who God's making you to be. Today, what I want us to look at specifically is a passage that I find in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And it's a story that is a hard story. And it's not a a, a real uplifting story, but it's a story that's given to us to bring instruction in our life and to bring some hope in our life. In fact, I want to prove that to you. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes this about all Scripture, and this includes the Old Testament, these stories that have been given for us. Here's what Paul writes about it. For whatever was written, was written in former days, was written for our what, church? Our instruction. So in other words, to help your life along today. It's given to us for our instruction. They're not pointless stories. That through endurance and through the encouragement of, how do we find encouragement? Through what? The scriptures. Through the encouragement of the scriptures. Now I want you to say the last part with me out loud. Say it with me out loud. We might have hope. Let's say it again. We might have hope. And so you find hope through these stories. They're not pointless. We find instruction. We see that God redeems even the the worst kinds of situations that God begins to redeem these in His purposes. And so this is a story of David losing someone dear in his life as he lost a son, he lost a child. And I know that this is a sensitive subject, especially here in Eagles View Church, because we've had a great deal of loss in this area. I don't know of any pastor, and I say this, I don't know of any pastor that I am friends with that has done more funerals for children than I have. And I'm serious about that. They would say the same thing. We've had great loss in our lives, in this area, in our church. I happen to believe that that God has sometimes places pockets of individuals who go through similar kinds of losses so that we can minister to one another so that we are there in one another's lives, and perhaps that's the reason. I don't know, but there's been great loss, and I just acknowledge that there's great sensitivity in this area, but this is given to us to show us encouragement and to show us that there is hope, okay? 
What we find is that, as you know the story of David, we know that David, in his infidelity, conceived a child with a woman named Bathsheba. There's that in and of itself is a sobering and gut-wrenching story because what we find there is that there's great disappointment that even a man after God's own heart can have great moral failure. And we see that in David's life. And we see that there are great consequences that happen in his family because of David's sin. Now, David is also described as a man after God's own heart. And I want you to know that, that as we look at this story, and I give you some context, I want you to know as this child was conceived out of wedlock and was conceived in sin, David was confronted by the prophet Nathan and was, he becomes greatly repentant of his sin. He's broken before God. God brings forgiveness in his life. Now, I do want to say this, that there are at certain times severe consequences that come with the actions of our sin. Now, we also know, and I want you to hear this too, that there are also times that life, things just happen in life that you didn't have anything to do with. You didn't cause. It's just the broken nature of our world around us. But the bottom line in this situation is there, were, there was the chastening hand of God in David's life at this point. God will discipline us as we sin against him. Why does he discipline us? Because he's a loving father. Hebrews tells us he's a loving father and he brings discipline into the lives of those that he loves. And so discipline happened in David's life. You may have experienced loss in your life. And I'm not saying that that is the chastening hand of God today. In either situations... The loss is still there. In either situations, whether it's just something that happened because of the brokenness of the world in which we live, which, by the way, ultimately comes back to sin, that, that, that has had our world spinning into brokenness ever since the very beginning there. Or it could very well be that there was some consequences that you're having to deal with now. And that the point is, is that the loss is still the same. The pain is still there. The difference between one and the other is that one may feel guilt and has to deal with the guilt, and that's also a part of their loss. But the Scripture teaches that loss comes into our lives just because often because of the broken nature of the world. And, but here's what we find in David's situation. Bathsheba was pregnant, and a baby was born, and the baby was very sick as he was born, and he is near death. And David was doing what any loving father would do. He was on his face before God crying out in prayer, asking God to bring healing to this child. And, and he's crying and he's weeping and he's fasting. He is in a place of total brokenness. And it says this in chapter 12, verse 16, it says, David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. And he's fasting, he's praying. He's doing the things that we do as spiritual people, whenever we find bad news out, we go to God and we begin fasting and we begin praying. And verse 17, and the elders of the household pleaded with him to get up and to eat with them. But he refused. And then on the seventh day, the child died. So this has been going on for seven days. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will he do when we tell him that the child is dead? They were really concerned about David's state of mind. Okay? They were concerned about what was happening. They were worried about him. When David saw them whispering, you know, when you see people that are talking, you just kind of know something's happened. This begins to happen to David. He has this intuition to know this. It says he realized what had happened. And he asked the question, is the child dead? He asked, yes, they replied, he is dead. This is the setup of the story today. And what we're going to see is some actions that David began to take in the midst of this devastating loss. He's been praying for this baby to be well, his son to be healed by God. But what happens? The baby is not healed and the baby dies. Some of you know exactly that feeling that David must have been feeling. I know that our family understands that feeling. And there's disappointment that comes with a prayer that you've prayed. And it's not that God didn't answer because God did answer. But we know that his answers sometimes are no. And his answers sometimes are not now. But sometimes they are, as I said, just no. And I don't understand that. 
And that's where the struggle comes in. Many of you know what it feels like to have prayed for something to turn out differently than the way that, that, that it has turned out. And you're, you've been grappling with that and you've prayed. And I remember when we got the news about Dan and how our family, we went to prayer. We prayed. It was the number one thing that we prayed for in our life on a regular basis. We prayed together as a family. We prayed together individually. We prayed corporately. We prayed. And it didn't work out the way that we prayed for it. And I want to tell you that there is great struggle with that. And I want to be the kind of pastor that's honest with you to tell you that there's some times where you're not going to get the answers now. And there are times where the struggle is going to be so hard that you don't know that you're going to have it in you to be able to take next steps. And that's why we're doing series like this, because you need to know that this is real and that people who love God even experience these kinds of things. And sometimes it doesn't just work out the way you have for it to work out in your mind. So David has a choice where he's, and again, this is what Pastor Randy was talking about. This is the struggle. This is where we wrestle. This is where we grapple. This is where we ask questions. This is where we even complain to God about the situation. That is called a lament. And by the way, there's a book called Lamentation. So if there's a book in the Bible, I think we might ought to do it. Right? There's lamentations all throughout the Psalms that, that are written there for us to see that we are called to lament at certain times. That it is a great form of worship. That we come to a place, even in our brokenness, when we don't get it. But we're still going to worship. We'll talk more about that in a second. There are some things that David would begin to do to take him to a place of surrender. A place where peace would begin to settle in, even in the midst of the pain that he was feeling. And here is the first thing, and this is a hard thing to hear, but there are some of you that you really need to hear this today. And if you're going to move towards peace, the first thing you have to do is you have to come to a place of accepting what cannot be changed. I accept what cannot be changed. When people receive bad news, our first response to it is, no, 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 I don't want to hear that. This cannot be happening. Please do not tell me that. I, I, I don't want to hear that. Why? Because we're in a place of denial, and that is what we do. We deny what's actually happening until finally some begins to settle in within us, and we realize this is real. It's real. And that is when surrender begins to happen, whenever we begin to acknowledge the reality of what's taking place. And surrender is accepting the reality. Here's what David did in verse 22. He says, David says this, I fasted and I wept. Therefore, again, I want you to see a great warrior man of God fasting, praying, and doing what, church? Weeping. He's a man's man. He's a warrior. He took out Goliath. I'd say he's a warrior, right? He's a warrior. He said, I fasted and I wept while the child was alive. For I thought perhaps the Lord would be gracious and let the child live. But look at what he's going to say now. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? The answer to the rhetorical question is no. You cannot. What has happened has happened. This is in the past. What we are not saying here is to get over it. We're not saying get over it. You don't get over it. You'll never get over it. But this is the beginning point of starting to move through it. You start moving through the pain. You start moving. And, and, and David at this point is still lamenting. He's still struggling. But he begins to get up. As we'll see here, he accepts that this is reality. Acceptance doesn't mean that you stop caring. Acceptance doesn't mean that you stop grieving. Acceptance doesn't mean you put on the fake plastic smile because that's not what God wants. That's not what we want. Acceptance just means this. I realize I can't change it. It's out of my control. 
I cannot manipulate things into happening the way that I think that they should happen. God is sovereign, and I'm going to accept this. I want to give you a challenging question for some of you today. It's going to be a disturbing question for some of you, but this is something that you need to consider. And if you're going to move towards peace, which is what God wants for you, which is what we want for you, you're going to have to address this question. And here is the question. What do I need to accept that is over in my life? Instead of living in denial about it as if it's still not over. What do I actually need to accept that is over in my life? What season do I need to accept is over? Maybe it is a job and you keep thinking that they're going to call you back and give you another chance. And man, I made a big mistake. I blew it. And, you know, maybe they'll give me another chance and maybe they will. And, and you can continue to pray. Uh, and, and this is where this is really dicey here because there's this place of being and this tension of being in prayerful hope and, and prayerfulness and continuing to pray. But at some point, God is going to say no. Unless he says yes or unless he says wait. And when God says no, which is a legitimate answer, you have to accept that. What do I need to accept that's over in my life? It could be a relationship that maybe you've been hoping is going to be repaired. And, and here is the variable in that that I have to tell you about. Is that you can do everything you possibly can do. You are to do everything that you can. You work on yourself. You do the things that you know to do, to pray, to fast, to do all of those things. But the variable in the equation is that, and if this is if it's a relationship situation, there is another person that is involved that has a free will. And God will not force another person to do something against their free will because God, and this is a big theological you know, thing that we're discussing here, but God, even in his sovereignty, allows us within certain parameters to make choices. And as we make choices, there's often change, and that means there's loss, and that means that there's pain. And the bottom line is, is you can't control another person. So all you can do is do what you can do, but the reality is, is that relationship may never be repaired, and you might have to just accept it. It means you come to a place of acceptance that you've done everything you can do. Some of you have had a dream and it hasn't happened the way that you dreamed that it would. It could be that season of that dream is over. And it could be that for you to accept it means that God is going to give you a fresh dream. It means that God is going to give you fresh manna. That God is going to give you something new in a new season. But he's waiting for you to accept that this season is over. So there has to be acceptance. But here is, man, if we ended the message right there, that would be pretty heartbreaking. But it doesn't end like that, praise God. Because here's the next part of moving through your grief is I have to recognize if I'm going to get to a path of peace, I accept reality. But I also remember that with God involved in my life, that this is not the end of the story, praise God. Amen? There's more to it than this. You must remember that this is not the end of the story. That's the next point. Can we go to the next point there? We have the next point, please. We remember that it's not the end of the story. So when we experience devastating and catastrophic loss of some kind, it's often normal to feel like that's the end, that it can never get better. Nothing ever can, good can ever come of this. And King David has experienced the loss of this with his son. He's able to focus on those some hope that is out ahead of him that he has in God. That God wasn't finished with the story. And so this is what we find. We find this is that, is that he's going to say this in 2 Samuel chapter 12. He's going to say, I will go to him one day. What he just said right before that is, can I bring him back in this world? And the, the answer is no. But now here's where the hope is. This isn't the end of the story. But I will go to him one day. There's more to the story than what we see right now. There's more to it than what I can experience tangibly with my touch now, with my senses now, with my eyes from what I can see. As our family has experienced loss in a number of different ways, but more specifically the loss of our loved one. One of the things that has anchored our souls and continues to be an anchor is this, is this is not the end of it. Praise God, this isn't it. 
If this is all that there is, man, what a beatdown, right? As a believer, we know that there's more to the story than what we can see. This isn't it. Dan is in heaven. Dan is in glory. More than what my brain can possibly ever even comprehend. And as hard as it is for us to even understand this, he's in the presence of Jesus Christ. And even if he could, he wouldn't want to come back to this broken world. And here's the thing. This time that we have right now is real. But in the grand scheme of eternity, you need to hear this today. For those of you that are struggling, that you're dealing with hardship, you need to hear this. In the grand scheme of eternity, this is but a speck in the scheme of eternity. And that's going to be forever and ever and ever. And this is just for a few years. It's a speck in the grand scheme of eternity. It's what begins to bring us to a place of hope. It doesn't mean that we're not sad. It doesn't mean that we don't still weep, that we're not difficult. Because here's the thing. I know this in my brain that my loved one is in heaven. I know that, but I can't see heaven with these eyes. And that's why it's so hard. Because I can't see it as hard as I try to look. I can't see it. And so this is where surrender begins to come in, where I come to a place of saying that even though I can't see it with my eyes, I know this, that the righteous will walk by faith, not by what? Sight. There's more to it than this. Some of you are going through this devastating loss of, of, of a relationship or in a job or, or something happening with your child or whatever, and you need to hear this, you're your suffering is real right now, but it is temporal. And it will not last forever. And we, I think a lot of times, focus so much on the here and now because it's all we can see right now. It's all we can feel. And we put so much emphasis, even as pastors, on, on what's happening right now where the Scripture speaks so much more about eternity and eternal matters and eternal things. Things like heaven. By the way, we're very likely going to do a series on heaven sometime next year. Because I think that we need to know a little bit more about it. Because it will help you have a little more hope right now with what you're dealing with. Because you have a mind towards heaven. Did you know this? Your citizenship is in heaven. You're an alien in this world. Did you know that? You're a stranger in this world. You don't belong here if you're in Christ. And it's hard now. So we're going to teach you more about heaven sometime next year. He said, I will go to him one day. Whatever the situation is in your life right now, whatever it is, it's temporal. And, and you're, it's not the end of the story. Here's the third thing, and this is very practical, and I think it's very significant, though. You may think it's strange, but I find it right here in the Word of God. If you're going to begin to move towards a pathway of peace in your life, Here's what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to take care of yourself. I take care of myself. I begin to, to take care of myself. This is part of the process. It's very practical. I think it's significant that it's in the Scriptures. It says this, after David received the news, then David got up from the ground. David began to move. He began to take steps forward. He got up from the ground he washed himself off. He put lotions on. He changed his clothes. Remember, this had been going on for days. David stunk, probably, by this time, in a kingly kind of way. And he realized this, i got to start moving forward. Now, he wasn't over it. He never got over it. His family never got over it. But he started moving through it. He put on lotions. He, he brushed his teeth probably if they did that. I don't know, okay? He took care of himself. And what this is really significant, and I want you to hear this, if you're dealing with some kind of loss, because we'll often get stuck and we won't, we won't begin to move forward. We'll feel guilty as if we can't do anything to take care of ourselves, that it's wrong to do something to take care of ourselves. But at some point, you're going to have to start choosing to live again. And you don't stay there. You're not over it. But you start living again. 
you start moving through it again. That's what's happening here. It's a symbolic decision to re-enter life, to participate in life in the here and now. Even though he's eternally minded and he knows where he's going, he knows what's going to happen soon. He realizes I have responsibilities that are right in front of me right now. I must begin to be the king again. I must begin to carry out responsibilities because there are those who are around me that are depending upon me. It's a tough place, but you have to choose to begin to live again. There's nothing wrong with beginning to take care of yourself. There's nothing wrong in, in a sense where you should feel guilty by beginning to even experience pleasure again in your life. To experience good things in your life again because God made you for that. He made you to experience some things, but part of grief is that we don't want to move through that and we don't think we can ever allow ourselves to live again In other words, we think that we may be dishonoring if it's those who have lost a loved one. We feel we may be dishonoring those that have gone before us. And and, and what I'm trying to show you is David began to move forward. He began to move forward. And this is what I also begin to do as I move forward. And this is a choice. This is a tough one right here. But this is a choice that you make in your development. That I must choose to refocus on God through worship. This is the path to peace. I have to make that choice because I'm going to just straight up tell you when you're going through the struggle portion of this and bad things are happening and you don't see anything good happening around you, you are not going to feel like worshiping God. Not only in your flesh, you won't feel like worshiping God, but you have an enemy that hates you and doesn't ever want you to worship God again. And that's part of the struggle that Job had. Remember, as Satan came for him, he told God, the only reason he loves you is because everything's good in his life. His point was he never wanted Job to worship God again. And he never believed that God could receive worship even in the midst of hardship. And we see that Job proved the enemy wrong. You're going to have to to choose to enter into worship of God. You're not going to feel like worshiping. You're going to have to be honest in your worship of God. You're going to have to let God know how you really feel. That's what we've been trying to teach you. You're going to have to realize it's okay to weep in the presence of God. You're going to have to realize that it's okay to weep in the presence of fellow believers. That it's okay to, 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 to not feel like it, but to still to take a step towards it. What we have a tendency to do when things go wrong and bad in our lives is we want to run as far, our temptation is to run as far away from God as we possibly can. You say, why is worship and choosing to worship so important? Why is choosing to go to my life group where I'm with other believers so important even though I don't feel like it? Why is choosing to come into corporate worship with other believers so important? Because what you're going to find is in those places where you begin to choose to worship God, that is the sweetest aroma, an offering of sacrifice before God, and you are actually then worshiping God in what is called spirit and what? Truth. Because even though you don't feel like it, you're lamenting before God, you're engaging with God. What God really wants is realness and authenticity in your relationship with Him. We're not saying come in here and be fake in your worship. We're just saying actually begin to engage God in worship. Sometimes we've made worship out to be only cheerful songs. And that's just not the case. The Psalms, more than a third of them, were what are called laments, where they were expressions to God of difficulty. And, and, and what God is finally saying for some of you when you actually get real with Him is He's saying to some of you, finally... You're being honest now. It's spirit and in truth. What you find is you begin to make yourself engage in worship and do life with other people is you're going to begin to see. You won't have all the answers now. We don't get all the answers right now, but you're going to begin to see that God's going to begin to give you glimpses, just glimpses of what it is that he can do and is beginning to do in the midst of your hardship. I'm not telling you you're going to get it all fixed. I'm not telling you you're going to get all the answers right now. But you begin to catch glimpses of God that you would have never known had it not been through the difficulties that you're experiencing. Glimpses of His compassion. Glimpses of His grace. His mercy. Of His tenderness. 
God begins to do these things in our lives. Our temptation is to run far from God, but it's a choice you make. And we see David make this choice in 2 Samuel 12, verse 20. It says after he cleaned himself up, what did he do? It says he went to the tabernacle, and I want you to read it with me. And he did what? And he worshipped the Lord. And what I love about David is when you read his story, man, sometimes in the Psalms, there have been times where I'm reading the Psalms and I'm like, did he really just say that to God? Are you kidding me? Why do you think that's there? It's to show you that God wants authenticity in your worship. To show you that it's okay. Do you know that God can handle your anger and your complaints and your struggle? He can handle it. He wants truth in our worship. And so long term, and by the way, it's okay to be all of those things and shocked and angry and all and mad and all of this. It's okay to be that. We're teaching you. But long term, long term, I have to know how to begin to engage God in worship of Him. He will never abandon you in your anger. He will never abandon you in, in, in you being uh, you know, upset. He will never abandon you in your tears. He will never leave you alone in your doubts. You've got to go to a place where you can begin to worship. And I'm not saying that it's always got to be here. I find a place where I go out where I can be alone by myself. And sometimes, and I'm just being gut level honest with you, I have a scream fest with God. And I, I really say how I'm feeling. And as I go through some of those times where I just pour it all out to God, where I get by myself, by the way, otherwise people will be thinking I'm crazy, right, okay? But I get alone with him and I pour my heart out to him and I say, this is how I'm feeling. And I got to tell you that it's hard, but there's a closeness that I feel with him in those moments. You got to find a place where it's serene, where the tabernacle was representative of his presence. You need to be and enter into the presence of God and it's a choice that you have to make. It's choosing to put one foot in front of the other instead of staying stuck. Here's a final thing before we worship through some songs of surrender. So I'm going to move to a place of peace in my life and this pathway of peace. And I have to choose this. I have to choose to keep on living. You are still here. You may not feel like you want to be but you are. And so I keep on living right now. And I keep on loving right now, even in my pain. It says this, that after this, in verse 20, it says, after this, after he had worshipped, after he had cleaned himself up, after he had taken some steps forward, it says this, that he returned to the palace. Why did he go to the palace? He was the king. He returned to doing some things that were productive. And then he, it says this, and he was served food and he ate. Amen. Okay? All right? He'd been fasting for days. What is all of this significant of? Did David just get over it? Okay, well, I just got to go. No, he's just moving through it. He's still grieving. He's still battling. But he, he's getting back to doing some things that were a part of life that he, he's recognizing I'm still living. People are depending upon me. I'm the king. He returns to the place of productivity. And so he keeps on living. For some of you, this is going to be a slower process than it was for David. Whenever Hope and I lost a child to miscarriage, we went through that loss. It was a devastating loss for us. We learned a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot that we didn't know about one another. Because hope grieved differently than I grieved. I grieved and I still grieve and we still mourn the loss of that child. But here is the thing. We grieved differently. She was slower to move back into that process. My way of grieving was moving back to doing things that I felt productive doing. Was I still hurting? Yes. Was hope still hurting? Yes. We all grieve differently and we need to give each other space to grieve differently. And grace to grieve differently. It's different times for different folks. But David moves back 
to doing things that he was productive. And, and, and there's still pain that was happening in his life. Here's another thing that you got to do is not just keep on living, but choosing to keep on loving. Because when you get hurt, you know what you don't want to do anymore? You don't want to love. Because there's too much hurt that comes with love, right? About the only way you can choose not to experience pain is to choose to never love again. But when you actually do what you're commanded to do, which is to love people around you, do you know in this broken world what that means? There's going to be some hurt. And there's going to be risk again. And there's going to be these kinds of things that happen in your life where you've got to choose to love. You could choose to not love and you could become a recluse and you could become bitter and you can isolate, which is what we're prone to do, especially I am prone to isolate when I get hurt. If someone betrays me and I go through some kind of deal like that, I, I don't ever want to love again. I don't want to ever trust anybody again, but the Lord says to me over and over again, that's not what I made you for. I'm going to help you whenever you get hurt. I'm going to help you when you feel that betrayal and rejection again. I know exactly what it's like, he says to me, whenever you've been betrayed. I know what that feels like. I know what that loss feels like. But you have to make a choice to love those around you. What some of us would choose to do is we, we'd say, you know, I, I just need to redirect my love to those that need to experience it and have it. What we can have a tendency to do when we lose something is to focus so much on the loss that we never focus on those around us that are left. So what we need to be committed to doing is to loving with everything within us those that God has left in our lives, not those that God has given to us. We love. We love passionately. We love with everything within us. Here's what I see in this story, and we'll sing here for a moment. Second Samuel, verse 24, chapter 12, it says, Then David, after all this happened, he comforted Bathsheba, his wife. And he slept with her. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And David named him, what was his name? Solomon. Solomon was not a replacement. never replace loss. Solomon was an added blessing in their lives. He was not a replacement. What we know about Solomon is he went on to be one of the wealthiest men and wisest men of all time. We have the Proverbs because of Solomon. We have Ecclesiastes because of Solomon. God took a story where there were ashes and he brought beauty in the midst of the ashes. David didn't just shut himself down and say, I'll never love again. I'll never, I'll never love anyone ever again. No, the world is blessed because he continued to live and to love those around him. Whenever Hope had her miscarriage and the pain was great and we struggled with that grief, one of the things that we realized later on was that had that loss not occurred, we might never have experienced Trinity, our daughter. Trinity is not a replacement for the child that we lost. We still mourn that. Trinity is a person in and of herself. And I got to tell you today, I can't even fathom my family without a Trinity. Right? But we might not have her. She's not a replacement. She's an added blessing in our life. And that is what God does. Is He, he doesn't replace this. He just brings other blessings and and so we come to a place of surrender. These are steps towards surrender. God, I give it all to you. I don't know what you're, you're, you're going through today, and I hope that it's not something major in your life right now, but whether it is or whether it's not, as you go through these different places, this is a path to peace. As I come to God and I say I don't understand it, I don't like it, I'm even complaining to you about it, and I'm coming to a place of surrender. Here I am in true worship, God. And I don't even have it in, in, in myself of my flesh to worship you because this is so hard in my life. But Lord, through your spirit and in your truth, I'm going to worship you today. I surrender to your care. 
I surrender to your sovereignty. I surrender to your love. I trust that you can take ashes and bring beauty. There's a prayer that many of you know. It's called the serenity prayer. Some of you only know the first part of that. We're going to end my portion of this by me reading you the serenity prayer. And here's what it says. Most of us only know the first part, but here's what it says. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. And the courage to actually change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, that's typically all we know of the serenity prayer, but that's only a part of it. There's more to it, but we never hear it. Here's the rest of that prayer. This is what was written. The rest of it says this. Living, choosing this, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, that's acceptance, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I, what does it say next? Surrender. If I surrender to your will. Now, I want you to notice the last part of this because it's powerful. So that I may be reasonably happy in this life. There's not a whole lot of emphasis right there. Reasonably happy in this life. And I want you to see where the emphasis is placed. And supremely happy with you forever in peace. Amen. It's all about surrender. Today, we're going to close our service singing today. You've been taught about surrender, and now we're going to give you a chance to actually make a choice or not in surrendering whatever it is that maybe you've been stuck in. Some of you, maybe you've been trying to control a situation in your life, and God's saying, when are you going to give that up to me? Some of you, it's surrendering some of the pain over to God. Some of you, it's just surrendering the loss. Some of you, it's acknowledging the loss. Some of you, it's surrendering your plans. Some of you, it's surrendering your family. Some of you, as we sing, you may physically even want to release these things before God as just an act of worship. Lord, I surrender what we're going to sing as I surrender all to you. I surrender it all. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me in prayer. Some of you have never given your life to Jesus Christ. And unless you know Jesus Christ, you can never have that peace that passes understanding. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, He came so that you could have peace with God. If you've never accepted Jesus and believed on Him in faith, He wants you to experience Him in all of His fullness today. You just might need to pray something like this in faith Him today. Say, Dear God, I know that that I'm a sinner that is in need of a Savior. And Lord, today, I receive the gift of salvation that I do not deserve that you've offered to me through your grace. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. And even though I don't understand it all, I surrender my will to you. And Lord, today, I receive the gift of eternal life. Father, I thank you today for the fact that as we go through hardship, you've told us we can still have peace. You are a merciful God. And so today, Lord, as we worship you, I pray that we would worship in spirit and in truth. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You know, my daughter Trinity and my son does this too. Whenever I come into their presence, they don't throw their hands up like, Daddy, I surrender to you, okay, because they're fearful of me. What I love that they do and what blesses my heart is when they throw their arms out to me and they embrace me. And when we raise our hands to God, it's not to draw attention to ourselves. It's not to say, God, I, I, you're this horrible God that I feel like I must surrender to you in this way. 
It's as if a child is coming to a father and saying, Lord, I just surrender to you. Lord, I, I trust you. Lord, I love you. I embrace you. I want to ask you to stand with me. And I want you to contemplate deeply the words that you're about to speak through song. Will you make that an authentic worship and praise before God today.